welcome to episode 97 of Breakout Culture. I'm Charlotte Metcalf. I'm the associate editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. And I'm Ed Vasey, none other than the culture editor at Country and Townhouse magazine. Now, it's the time of year when people are gathering and people are thinking about great places to eat out. Obviously, in a cost of living crisis, this is not something we can do every day, unless you're Charlotte Metcalf. <laughs> so if we are going to eat out, we want to make sure we're going to go somewhere special and memorable. We don't normally talk about food on this podcast. In fact, the only time we've covered a restaurant at all was when we talked to the legendary maitre d' Jesus Adorno at the time that Le Caprice was closing. That was because we wanted to get the best table at Charlie's in Browns, where he's moved. <laughs> it's also because we reckon Le Caprice was one of London's most loved institutions and certainly frequented by the cultural elite. But now we've given the perfect opportunity to talk about restaurants and culture in one breath as a wonderful book has come up to our notice, fittingly entitled Aesthetic Dining, the art restaurant around the world. Yes, now this is a beautifully illustrated book, which has been researched and put together by Christina Macris, who's had the tough task of scouring countless restaurants in a hundred cities over six continents to find the most sublime combinations of visual taste and aesthetic dining. Christina is an art and wine writer, a doctor of philosophy, an art collector and a philanthropist. And when it comes to restaurants, she describes herself as an investor, consultant and sybarite. What's a sybarite? Oh, it's somebody who's very into sensual excess. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, oh, no, my no, God. No, I tell you, I it so happens. I think we podcast right now. Well, no, it's going to get better. Wait, because Christina is talking to us from the Gunton Arms, which features in the book. And Ivor Bracker, who owns it, the art collector turned restaurateur, says about a restaurant, a restaurant should be somewhere you take someone you want to sleep with. So with that in mind, all the more exciting that Christina's with us today to discuss the enticing Glories. This podcast got age the art restaurant. Shushed. <laughs> Good morning, Christina. <laughs> Good morning. Hello, hello. It's great. I'm uh, speechless. It's great to have you. All. <laughs> I'm getting slightly hot and bothered. That's the feeling that the Gunton Arms um, just uh, gives you when you're just going through the rooms, and you know he has Ivor has done a great job with having some beautiful established pieces, but there's a lot of naughtiness. There's a lot of you know eating your meal under an Iraqi woman who's tied up or the corner with the Tom of Finland drawing. So it's it's all here. It's it's very uh yeah, it's lots of giggling over dinner last night. The who of Finland? One. Tom of Finland. Who's the Tom of Finland? He's an artist. He is um he's a homoerotic artist and he draws oh. uh men uh in a very beautiful oh. way. Um and um Ivor collects him and there's quite a few pieces around the Gunton Arms that I had uh, there were a few that I had reacquainted myself with last night, I would say. <laughs> right, well that's the homoerotic bit covered off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> this book has chapters on twenty-four restaurants, Sydney, Tunis, Cairo, Tuscany, Zurich, Hong Kong, London and New York, of course. And about a third of them, in fact, are in England. So for our three listeners who listen to this podcast and are based in England, this is the podcast for you. Get your pen out, start taking notes. Obviously, the first question is, Christina, have you visited every single restaurant? Yes, I have. And I have to say repeatedly, uh, most of them, I think all of them, I went to eat 
I think I was almost, um, you know, held hostage there because I do believe it's important to experience a restaurant at lunch in the evening for dinner and just kind of, you re I really outstayed my welcome. So I went to all of them repeatedly a few times because I think that if you actually take the time to sit in a restaurant and eat, you know, you're with company, sometimes you're by yourself, you can really take in the environment and ideas and thoughts come to you. So it, it was that was a very important part of this exercise. <laughs> this is me. brilliant. This is the kind of job I want. Why didn't I think about writing a book like this? <laughs> oh, politics got you, Ed. <laughs> now, you start by saying that there's a phenomenon of restaurants orientated around visual taste that has gone on for over a century. You sort of give it a date. Maxim's in Paris, Del Cambio in Turin. Tell us about this phenomenon of the visual or the aesthetic restaurant. Yes, so there have been examples, as you've just mentioned, of, you know, Maxims in Paris and Del Cambio in Turin, which is technically, I mean, a lot of restaurants argue about we're the oldest restaurant, you know, in our city or in our country. But um, Del Cambio is, is quite old. It's, uh, you know, Napoleon visited it and all, all of that stuff. But the actual, the art restaurant, which is the phenomenon that I was interested in in writing this book, is I would say really starts with the uh, Column d'Or in the south of France because it's an exemplar of where sensual eating food it was there. Of course, everybody went there for that reason, but artists started going there as well and they started leaving sketches and pieces of work famously for the owners. It was almost accidental, but then it wasn't. You know, in the, in the 50s and the 60s, I think the owners kind of really hassled some of, some of the artists, in, in fact, including Picasso. I mean, um, very famously, Madame Rue, the proprietor's wife, just went to his studio and said, look, everyone else has given us an artwork. Matisse, Miro, how come you haven't given us an artwork? And he just apparently just pointed and said, well, pick something from the studio. So they got a Picasso. They have a museum quality Picasso. So the Column d'Or really started that system of the two. There was something similar in Zurich, the Krone Halle, which is also around the same time, where, again, a similar story, a very, you know, bullshit proprietress in, in, in that example would she would invite artists in because she she was she was kind to them she felt for them you know struggling student artists and she would of course sit them upstairs not to disrupt you know Zurich society and she would sort of ask them for little sketches and she would make them I mean it's kind of it's 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 quite amusing and also very practical. She would make them um, a stew and soup of the leftovers. So a system started there as well. So it, it, it is quite a 20th century phenomenon where um, in those cases, some of the restaurants where artists actually went to eat in these places and the proprietors, you know, gave them food, but took art in exchange. And then I expanded that idea of the art restaurant to think about the relationship between chefs and artists and how they really can't leave each other alone. They collaborate, they want to be like each other. There's something about assembling ingredients in a particular way. And, and artists, you know, artists love chefs, you know, obviously very famously, Damon Hirst has had, you know, collaborations with Mark Hicks um, in recent times. I mean, he's still um, placing artworks in restaurants, including Bacchanalia that just opened. Opposite Phillips Auction House, it used to be a Porsche dealership, now is a new restaurant called Bacchanalia, which is, it's a celebration of Greco-Roman excess. 
and Damien's put these kind of Pegasus works on, on, on the on the hanging from the ceiling, kind of like he did in his Brasserie of Light in uh, Selfridges. I'm so glad you kicked off with a column door because it is probably one of my favourite places in the whole world. And I was lucky enough that this summer to get a little tour. And it is so unbelievably fantastic. I mean, it's like be sitting in a museum, isn't it? I mean, it's just incredible. Those kind of Calder mobiles around you. And it's just so in fantastic. And there's another restaurant in your book that I was really struck by that I didn't know about. The one, where's the one with all the, the in X, I think, with all the sculpture in it and the Louise Bourgeois, there's a great big sculpture garden. and That's uh, Chateau Lacoste, which is Paddy McKillen's project, which is a sculpture garden, an architectural garden, if you like. I mean, he, he, he doesn't, he, he blends his categories. I don't think he, I think he's more interested in the total aesthetic experience of being surrounded by these things. And in a way, you go, there's sculptures in the vineyards, there's sculptures all around the grounds, and it kind of culminates in this restaurant, which has a Louise Bourgeois couple hanging over the table. And it's almost like I don't know, it cra- the, the rest of the place cradles it or it's an altar. Or it's a sort of, you know, you, you, it's a pilgrimage for sure because you have to wind your way up and make your way through the, you know, the, the gardens and look at all the architecture pavilions and the sculptures that are in, um, in, you know, outside. And then you finally get to kind of celebrate with this beautiful, beautiful meal. Uh, a great photo of it in your book. It looks fabulous. Yeah. yeah, I really want to go. <laughs> Because I remember going to the pharmacy. That was a funky restaurant. I yes. In the 90s. Yes. That was a Damien Hirst yes. phenomenon Yes, restaurant. it was. Yes, that's right. That was their first collaboration. I think, I mean, I, yeah, I think I'm not really going to go into the details in the podcast because they're a little bit, they could be a bit spicy. But in, in the book, in the back, there is a section of interviews and Damien speaks very openly and candidly about his collaboration with Mark Hicks and how that panned out and, you know, the trials and tribulations. But I have to say, he is still obviously a very good, he still clearly believes in restaurants. He still likes taking commissions for restaurants. He still likes being in restaurants. He still, you know, he's, he's, they're, they're important to him. And I mean, he said when Mark Hicks has his restaurant in East London, Tram Shed, and there used to be one of Damien's works, the, the the cow split in two with the chicken, and effectively because those were the only two meats on on the menu at market. But he he's he's quite he's quite um, philosophical about being involved with restaurants, Damien, because he says that he likes displaying his work in restaurants because they're alive, because people go there. He says in a museum, it's dead. It's a dead and you know, just hanging out on a wall or displaying it in a museum but there's something alive about a restaurant. London, I mean, it is quite astonishing how we seem to have overtaken the world in this respect. Eight of the restaurants out of 24 in the book are in England, you know, seven of them. And if you count Mark Hicks, even more have been in London. I'd love to talk a bit about Peter Langan, because not obviously you feature Langans, but he also had the wonderful Odins and the biggest tragedy of all times, which has ruined Marleybone, is that that restaurant went, because it was so glorious. Yes, I mean, I think there's a, there's a wonderful family tree or genealogy. They are all connected. So Peter Langen was, for those that don't know, he was, <laughs> he kind of came to London by accident. He was an Aer Lingus salesman and he lived on Manchester Street in Marlebone, which he lived next door to Peter Proctor, a London school artist. So they got to know each other. And at the time, Peter was married to, I don't think they were married, but he was involved with 
the widow of this restaurant, Odin's. And I think one day she just said, I can't have this restaurant anymore. I can't take this restaurant anymore. And he took over, he started cooking. And he just was one of those figures that had an eye for taste, you know, taste on the eye and taste on the tongue, which is something I argue about in, in the book. He just knew how to put things together and he knew how to cook. He started cooking like French brasserie style stuff, which was not happening like in the seventies in London. This was like very, you know, unusual. It was a very avant-garde thing to do, but he also had great taste in art. I mean, he just started collecting you know, all the London school artists. He started collecting Laura Knight. He started collecting just artists, Royal Academician artists that I guess were deemed to be a bit dull at the time, but somehow they just worked and he just started displaying them in his restaurant uh, in Odin's. And then he was also a businessman. So then he set up Langen's Brasserie on Stratton Street. It's, it's still there. There is a genealogy in the sense that Chris Corbin of Corbin and King fame was working at Langens, he would have seen art and artists in, in the space. And of course, Corbin and King also had, then had, you know, Caprice and had the original, you know, the so, so it's all, it is all kind of connected. And you mentioned Jesus Adorno at the start of this. And of course he was kind of into the mix. So it's, and then of course, Chris Corbin employed Mark Hicks when he was a very young chef starting out. So there is definitely a trace. And, and I think Peter Langen, because he died so tragically, when he was 40 or just turned 40, he's just erased from the history of London restaurants. But this idea, I mean, his, his exemplar was La Coupole in, in Paris. So this idea of a beautiful brasserie where the food is great, but it's also about people watching. It's also about the environment. I mean, we take that for granted now when we go to a restaurant, but you know, in the late 70s, and early 80s, these were very revolutionary, I guess, ideas. I mean, in his time, Peter Langen was a phenomenal, well-known restaurateur. Yeah. Yes. He almost hold, held court at Langen's. And of course, he did drink a lot. He obviously had issues with, with alcohol. But he also just knew how to invite and to assemble the right people. Of course, he also went into business with Michael Caine. That ended in a strange way. But, you know, then you had like the glamorous, like the Joan Collins, the Hollywood contingent coming to it, but also the artist. David Hockney did a very famous drawing of um, of them, of Peter Langen and Michael Caine. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yes, which was sold at auction actually in 2018. And that was the menu of Langen's. Even though Peter Langen was quite prickly and he was quite difficult and maybe even sometimes quite abusive, the artists still held them in their it held him in their regard. They still went back. They still, you know, drew made drawings for him. They still just hung around him. So there must have been something charismatic and something really. Let's go back to the um talk about art, the actual artist for a minute because one of the the really interesting things about this book is in the back where you and Tim Marlowe of the Design Museum. You know, you've interviewed a, a lot of artists from Ai Weiwei and Anthony Gormley and Conrad Shawcross and Gary Hume and Maggie Hamling and all these people, you know, Tracy Emin, Peter Blake, about the relationship between food and art. I mean, that's really interesting part of the book. It's not just about food at all, is it? It was phenomenal, actually, to speak to some of these artists and just hear about where they eat, why why they eat there what it is to put a work in in a restaurant and you know and so many anecdotes from you know 
Um, Gary Hume saying, so Scots in London, of course, has that very large, you know, the, the Hume panel, which is carnation, and there's a double play on that because it looks like it's carnations, but it looks like it's Maggie Thatcher's kind of, Margaret Thatcher's hairstyle. And of course, because Scots was bombed in the Troubles, because of, it was such a political establishment place, it has all this kind of complexity. So he says he always found that he still goes and eats there and he eats under his work and he says it's like having my own corner of my studio so if I've done my work I can go there and it's kind of and he's like the only problem is that I keep looking up at the work and I keep thinking damn it I could have done it I could have extended that or I could have like so he yeah. keeps wanting, wanting to, to correct it and then you know Conrad Shawcross says like you should never he's like you should never trust an artist that can't cook he's like if you're unsure about an artist ask them to cook for you Tracy Evans says you know that Mark taught her how to cook because she was hopeless so it's just yeah the, it was quite quite fine then Peter then you have Peter Blake who is a living encyclopedia of every single drawing on a napkin mural on a wall in every fish and chip shop and every restaurant anywhere every, any room that has existed from the 60s on he just remembers every single place it's like oh behind Tottenham Court Road there used to be a fish and chip shop owned by a Greek couple they used to argue but there was in break plates they throw plates at each other but there was a mural on the wall and he just remembers everything it was incredible to talk to him how amazing I didn't think he was um a restaurant aficionado Yes, because he would he he's quite he's quite good with um, taking on commissions and, and eating down effectively, which is the model where you give an artwork and then you'll be given, you know, food and drink and a venue, you know, all, of course, following tax rules, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, he would take his students there when he was teaching and, and kind of share with them. I wonder about one restaurant that you didn't mention, and I want—I mean, I assume you know about it, which is Sally Clark's, where Lucy and Freud used to go, and that's full of Howard Hodgkins and all sorts of things. Um, why, why did you leave that out, out, out of interest? Didn't like the food? <laughs> no, 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 I love, no, 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 it's a wonderful, but she is, Sally Clark's is a wonderful restaurant. It's an institution in London. She, I did interview her in the book, for the book. She, because she, of course, worked at Michael's, in Santa Monica, which is also a very, um, you know, quite an important art restaurant at the time because everything we think we know, like everything the US knows about dining as an experience, as an environment, uh, Michael McCarthy did in, in 1979 in Santa Monica and she worked for him. So she was part of that generation of American chefs that were introducing fresh good food so he befriended a lot of artists also david hockney as well so he has quite a few of those pieces in in um in santa monica so she came from that school so again like we talked about peter lang and there is also a connection there is and i do believe you know if you've had a positive experience if you've cut your teeth working in a restaurant that has that pays attention to the aesthetics to the space to the environment you're of course going to replicate that as well plus also you just get to know artists and you just get to know gallery people and cultural figures that come into the restaurant so they're kind of they're your milieu anyway so sally clark was not omitted for any uh reasons other than space <laughs> and one of the other places i was really interested in reading about because i'd forgotten quite how much extraordinary art there is in the groucho club 
and there's that floor yes. piece. Tell us about that, which is, I mean, literally overlooked. The, the Groucho is my, is actually, is the only um, members club that I focused on in the book, just in, in the first instance, because it starts in such an uh, organic way, because, you know, Nikki Carter is, was at art school with a lot of that generation of YBA artists, and they were her friends, and she was working at the Groucho, so she started kind of asking him for works. So I think it's an organic example of how a members club has an art collection and how when artists give up a piece to that collection it's 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 kind of you know they're, they're surrendering a piece to a part you know a greater kind of history beyond them so the piece is is low down dirty mother <laughs> by susan collins collis and it's it's inlaid on the floor of the dining room and so it's when you go out to smoke, so of course nobody ever looks at it. Um, but it just it just looks like it's drops yeah. of paint or something. But it's it's but it's not. It's it's inlaid, so it's it's quite it's quite exquisite. And in all those works, you know, because they're they're historical pieces of art, so they belong to a period of art history. They belong to a particular aesthetic, to a particular intentions, and the very fact that an a seemingly ordinary experience of dining is interrupted or shared with artworks is is part of the phenomenon of aesthetic dining i mean that's magic so so that's yeah so you can you can so i'm, I'm asking people to go to the groucho and look at the spots on the floor. <laughs> and of course the groucho is being taken over by um by hauser and worth now yes it has yes it has um which is um I mean, I think they bought the full art collection as well. So there are some significant pieces. But you sound, you sound nervous, Christine. I don't know what to say. I guess inevitable. The restaurant industry, the hospitality industry is so competitive. It does not stay still for a year. Every restaurant that you think is there, you know, it's incredibly difficult to run a restaurant. The margins are so thin. Things are changing all the time. COVID wiped out. I mean, there were more places that I was going to write about and I had to just stop, the, abandon the chapters because I finished this book in, in lockdown. So I, I've seen a lot of changes in restaurants through the years. So I won't be surprised if there are changes, but it's, it's inevitable, I guess. They have the Five Arms, which is one of my favourite hotels in the world. Lovely. Yes, it is. It is. It is absolutely lovely. The Five Arms is um, a, a hotel, a lot in, of a Victorian lodge, which is now a hotel in Braemar in Scotland. And it is owned by Art Farm, who's the hospitality, hospitality arm of Hauser & Worth. And they have just lots of their works sort of spread around the place, like, you know, a beautiful Freud portrait, which is, of course, museum quality. There's a Picasso, there's a Bruegel in the dining room, as you do. I would recommend going there and having an aesthetic dining weekend where you never leave the space because the whole thing is just so beautifully done and the food is incredible of course because i mean when are you going to sit with a freud i mean how many of us own a freud or have a freud in our house you can sit there and read and have you know tea and look up at it and spend time with it and really really take your time to almost like you live with it so i think that's that's what's wonderful about encountering art in these kinds of environments where it's not a white cube white wall gallery where you're hurried along or museums which is a kind of different you know proposition well i agree i mean it's made me really want to go on on a tour of of the world now and i mean like in in the cronenhalle going back back to that i mean that 
you said that she at the beginning was was you know kept all the artists upstairs, but she's got that phenomenal self portrait by Picasso in that. It's absolutely phenomenal. I mean, that's talk about museum standard. Yeah. <laughs> yes, she. Yeah, and it's um, it's a later one, and it's his. It's his head. It's like it's just his big head paint, you know, drawing. Um, and it's, it's, I mean, that's an interesting example. The Kronehalle is now a trust. So in terms we were talking about touched upon ownership and changing hands, she left the restaurant to her son. He didn't have children. So it's owned by a trust. They can't sell anything. They can't move anything. Once a year, they take all the artworks down to clean the walls and they have to rehang in the exact same spot. They can never change it. So, so that's, that's almost... I don't know if that's actually more of a museum than a museum because a museum will rehang and change its kind of curatorial direction sometimes, you know, through, through the years. So that is preserved. And also the menu, in a way, is a relic of a museum because it's just like really heavy, good Swiss food that hasn't changed for over a century, you know, like really, really stodgy, just good. A lot of cream. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cream, yeah. So, so, so I think that's quite. A, I mean, I know it's 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 a bit trite to say like it's you're out, you step out of you know into time, but you you really actually do the even the 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 waitresses have the kind of black uniforms with the frilly no. kind of white aprons. Yes, yeah. It's a whole ser- it's a whole like sense of ceremony. You know, they all you're gonna have your rusty or something, and there's like four of them that come around. One you know wheeling it out, one opening the thing. It's just it's a whole ritual of dining. It's it's incredible. And do they give you second helpings there? Because they do that in Switzerland. I'm so shocked. The first time I went to a restaurant in Geneva, the the portions are huge. <laughs> they are very huge. God. Yeah, of course. It's but it is it's it's wonderfully comforting. I mean, it's comforting for your stomach, your eyes, you know, your aesthetic intellect. It really is, you know. And there, you know, each table has, you know, table seventeen is the table where James Joyce would visit when he was living in Zurich, and he wrote bits of Ulysses there. It's all just it's it's just a magic place. It's just there's just so many nooks and crannies to to explore and works to look at. It's it's quite special. What are you going to do next? I'm working on a, a second book, which is uh, on on wine and art, and that's going to come out next year. So, yeah, so the quest continues. Charlotte and I are available to help with the research. Yeah, <laughs> that's quite. What's your favourite in, in this book? It's a, that is of course the impossible yes, question. We always ask um, it. The way, <laughs> no, 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 but it is, but it's, but it's important. I think I, if you have to be practical, I guess to answer in a practical way is which are the restaurants that I go to a lot. I mean, of course, if I could go to Cairo every weekend and have you know Abu El Cid Mukhleya like stew and look at the, I would, but it's not possible to go to Cairo every weekend. So, so in London, um, I am never disappointed by oysters at Scott's. So Scott's, I love Scott's and I love the artwork. Um, of course, the Krona, um, the Krona Hall is epic and the Column d'Or I go to every oh, year in the summer. I have a bit of a, I, oh. I, I have a, it's a pilgrimage. I think it's important to kind of, you know, pay your dues and, and, and just go back and make sure everything is in its place. And it always is because it runs like clockwork and they're not going to change anything. Oh. Well, it's such a brilliant idea. I think you should do, I think you should do hotels next. Because funny enough, we had uh, uh, we were talking about an exhibition. Our photographs were all taken in Lenore Pinu. Um, yes, which, yes, which, I know that hotel. Is fab- that's yeah. full of fabulous art as well. Yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, watch and the And then space. Ed and I will really be up for it. We could do a touring podcast. <laughs> yes. I mean, the, the joy of all this kind of research is sharing it with people, right? Like with friends, like going to restaurants with friends, drinking wine with friends. And it's definitely a love letter to, to you know, restaurants and to dining and, you know, lots of memories through um, the research phase. So. Yeah, and you're about to go and have lunch in the in the Gunton Arms. Yes, it's it's incredibly gamey and it's wonderful. It's just they just they're just you know um, roast everything in the fire and just it's just really it's a very good time of year to eat here. Oh well, the book is just wonderful. So um, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about it. It's it's marvelous. <laughs> thank you for having me. Thanks, Christina. Thank you. Bon appetit. Just before we go, I thought that regular listeners might want to know that following last week's podcast with Norman Foster and Stephen Bailey, the winner of the International Building Beauty Awards in Lisbon last week was Dexamene's Seaside Hotel in Coutura, Greece, which involved a conversion and remodelling of wine tanks by K-Studio. However, the good news is that the Tintagel Footbridge team did hugely well and was a joint runner-up with Phoenix Central Park in Sydney. So that's some very good news for the Brits. Next week, we're delighted to be welcoming back onto the podcast the one and only Kwame Kwayama, brilliant and irrepressibly innovative artistic director at the Young Vic. He's going to be telling us all about Mandela the Musical, which is on until February, and that is definitely going to be one of the most talked about theatrical events of the year. So don't fail to tune in to hear all about it. As usual, you can find us at countryandtownhouse.com, where you'll also find the latest edition of the magazine, as well as be able to listen to our sister podcast, House Guest with Carol Annette, talking to some of the most fascinating and influential names in interior design. We love your feedback, and we'd also like to hear if there's anything you'd like to hear us profiling or changing. So please send me a comment or email us on charlotte at countryandtownhouse.co.uk. Thank you very much indeed for listening and see you next week. Goodbye. Take care. Bye.